People have died. We prayed for a miracle. As Linda, her lungs would regain capacity. So, this morning, I think about that term, miracle worker. And sometimes, like, what we're looking for in the miracle is not the miracle itself. I would love for Lucia to be able to be at full capacity again. But I see a miracle in her character, in her strength, in her resilience. The testimony that she gets to live out. I think about the Apostle Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 5. We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so, being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Then he goes on, he says, that's what we hope for. He says, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up in life. That's our hope, that we could go to this new creation. And we are confident. Uh, he says, we've been promised this by God, and we are confident knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. We are confident... And I say, willing, rather, to be absent from the body, to be present from the Lord. However, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Paul goes, I really want things to change. I really want that new day to come. I'm confident that that new day is coming, however... Right now, I'm laboring so that I might be accepted of him. He goes on to expound about how they see the sufferings of Christ play out in their own lives. To me, this morning, as we're singing that song, and I think about the miracles that we want to happen, what Paul got to fix his hope on What motivated Paul is in itself, or that Paul was motivated, I see that as a miracle in itself. That Paul did not let the cruelty, the harshness, uh, the violence, the hostility that he faced, all the suffering and the torment, that that did not break his spirit. It did not break his will. It did not break his faith. It did not break his heart of compassion. Talked about this yesterday with Miss Linda uh, during her memorial service. You know, uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love is patient and love is kind. And if you think about this, like love puts up with a lot of hurt and hostility and somehow comes out the other side and is still kind. That's, that's a miracle. Not the one that we're always looking for, right? 
And so this is just a thought before the message. It's a message before the message, and I just had it on my heart. But I wonder if there's something that, some way that you've been looking to be opened, right? God is a way maker. Some path that you've been looking to be open, and it's not been open. And maybe today, instead of even lamenting that that path is not open, although we are free to do that, we might go, okay, what path has been opened? The path that I wasn't looking for. What, what's the path that has been opened even though the path that I want to be opened is not? So I just invite y'all to a moment of reflection, contemplation about that. And then um, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get on with the the actual sermon uh, that I prepared for this morning. So would you bow your heads and your hearts? You just go to the Waymaker and ask him to open your eyes to the way that he's made that you were not looking for. Lord, we come to you, and uh, Lord, the song says, even when I don't see it, I trust that you're working, and I know that you're working. Even when I don't feel it, I know that you're working. You never stop working. I believe that, Lord. And Lord, here's the thing that I have in my heart, my mind this morning is, Lord, kind of like when I'm looking in the other direction, you're working in another direction. And sometimes instead of fearing or thinking that you're not working, my, my, my eyes need to be opened up in the direction that you are working. What I love about you, God, is that you can, you can handle our all of our confusion, all of our sorrow, all of our hurt, all of our anger, and still patiently be working in another direction. And patiently, patiently wait until, until our eyes are illumined in the direction that you are working. And Lord, we, we do a lot here about, and we try to be very open about like, hey, there's lament and there's grief and there's just hurt that we need to bring before the Lord because things are not the way that we want them to be. And not only the way that we want them to be, but Lord, we know things are not the way that you want them to be. 
Your son didn't teach us to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as though it weren't a real prayer. As though everything's going about the way that you intend it to go about, Lord. So God, we do that a lot, but today my heart is drawn to this place to where we go, okay, maybe I'm looking for you to work in this direction and you're working in this other direction and I, my eyes need to be open to that. Maybe the miracle is not what I think that the miracle needs to be, but there is, there's, there's the move of the Spirit in which you are working powerfully and mightily. Open our eyes to where your spirit is working, Lord, I pray. For our purpose here today, for the message that you've laid on my heart, Lord, I pray for clarity. I pray for humility in delivering the word. I pray for your spirit to empower, not only as we read your written preserved word, and we speak of your lived word and your son. But Lord, as I use my words, may your spirit fill them with authority. Truth. And then Lord, I pray for all of us who are gathered that, that, that what we receive will be uh, able to minister to us wherever, we're at, wherever we are at, Lord. And equip us. So that we can go out of this place and we can continue being patient and kind in this hostile world, Lord. I pray these things in the mighty resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. So we are talking about uh, setting our eyes on the joy that is before us, uh, longing uh, have, awakening a longing within us for that age to come, the, the day of the Lord to come, and the, the, the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation to come. And, um, and last week we played this uh, song, uh, Beulah Land, and the very first line says, I'm kind of homesick for a country of which I've never seen before. And that's just kind of expresses the sentiment that I have in my heart is that we grow homesick. Grow homesick for Jesus' return, for resurrection, for the restoration of all things, for the renewal of all things, for, for justice to flow through the streets like a rushing river. So, have you ever wanted something so bad? You've been Im imagining it, building it up in your mind. And, uh, you know, um, I have friends right now and I won't share it publicly but because uh, I haven't asked permission to, but, but they're about to buy a new vacation property on a lake. And I could just imagine that like whenever you're going like, oh, we're going to get this place on the lake and they have grandkids and, and, and it, well, they have kids too, but 
you know, it doesn't matter at this point. Uh, they have grandkids now, right? But uh, no, but I could just, I could just imagine like as, you, as you're scrolling and you're thinking, you're thinking about like all the fun and all the activity that, that's going to be going on there. All the, all the meal shared, all the, uh, all, all, all the, you know, great days basking in the sun and in the rays. And so here's kind of two things that I think. It, for one, we need to have our imaginations opened up to this when we think about what Jesus has promised us. And scripture gives us some insight into that. But on the other hand, I, I, I think this, sometimes we can build things up a little bit differently than what reality is going to play out. And I'm not here to crush anybody's dreams, but those great days on the lake are going to be met with some fussy kids who have been out in the sun for far too long, right? <laughs> it will be beautiful and it will be wonderful, but there's some reality that, that, that will play out. And, um, and sometimes when we're thinking about things, we don't think about the reality. Now, let me just go a step further. Whenever we have a shared collective hope, such as Christ's return, day of the Lord, resurrection and the renewal of all things. When we have that collective hope, and we are hungry to know more about that day, we're not only susceptible to our own imagination, we're susceptible to other people coming and telling us some fanciful things. And they'll do it with great authority. And they'll come in and they'll say, this is what you need to be watching out for. And this is what it's going to look like. And they'll write whole series of books that sell 80 million copies. And last week we started at the end of 2 Peter where Peter says, you know, we are looking for that new heavens and that new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. But this week I want us to kind of jump back a little bit in 2 Peter and remember why Peter was writing this letter. Like the bulk of this letter is warning them against false prophets who would take this, this promise that we have, this sure word, the sure word about the power and coming of the Lord. And, and whenever Peter says that in chapter 1, what Peter means is like return to Christia, is the Greek word. And it's, it, it's always talking about the, the, the return of Jesus, if you will, or the coming again of Jesus. I don't know if we could call it a second coming or the third coming because he came and in a babe and then he came back to life out of the resurrection on the day of the resurrection and then he's coming again. And so I like to say, he's coming again. He says, we have a sure word of prophecy about this 
It was revealed to us, to Peter, James, and John and I, when we were on the Mount of Transfiguration, we saw Jesus in his glory. And by that, he means it was like revealed to them, like the veil was peeled back, that separation between heaven and earth. The other dimension, if you will, was shown. And then God said, this is my son. Listen to everything that he says. And Peter says, we are writing to establish you. To make you stable in this hope. And then he says, because... Chapter 2, just like there were false prophets then, there's false prophets now and that will arise. And here's what he says of them. He says in chapter 2, verse number 1, these false teachers, these false prophets, they will privately shall bring damnable heresies. Privately. What does that mean? Does that mean that they're, they're not going to gonna whisper about it? Or do, does that mean secretly, deceitfully, with trickery? I would say the latter. It shall bring in damnable hairs, even denying the Lord that bought them. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, the words that, 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 that capture my heart and my mind about this are denying the Lord that bought them. See, on the surface level, I think when we think about denying the Lord, you think they're just walking around and going, you know, Jesus isn't Lord. Or like very, very overt statements, right? But, but none of that fits into the context of what Peter's saying. He says that they're going to be false prophets. And so a false prophet probably looks like a and if they're doing it uh, and they're successful, he seems to say that they're probably going to be successful. A, a, a false prophet probably doesn't look like a secular atheist philosophy professor, right? A false prophet probably looks a lot like a, an independent Baptist preacher. But we don't think about it that way, do we? See, Peter wasn't worried about that which could come from without into the church. He was worried about that which could grow up from within the church. And he said, I want you to be very careful about these people. They'll deny the Lord that bought them. Now, let's think about that statement for a second. Denying the Lord, then, is not this overt you know, have y'all ever seen these? Sometimes these people go on YouTube and they're like, um, the, the, uh, the unpardonable sin is that you uh, deny the Holy Spirit uh, and that, you know, that, you know, you'll never see eternal life. And they're like, I deny the Holy Spirit. And you'll just see all these videos like, like that's doing anything. Like God's going, oh my goodness, I can't I, Our God, I think he's just going, that's not even my point. You're, you've missed the point. You've missed it. But we get worked up about that, don't we? That, I can't believe that we're different than our Lord. 
We get worked up like we're surprised by it. We're shocked by it. But, but let's think about like what's under the current. Not, not on the surface of denying the Lord. Let's, what's under the current of what it means to deny the Lord? That's what I want us to kind of consider today, and we'll probably come back and consider it again, is oh, what's under the current whenever it says, deny the Lord that bought them? How did Jesus purchase our redemption? By offering himself, right? He talks about these false prophets, these false teachers who will, they're subtle. And they come in and they begin teaching like they have great authority. But I believe that they're the people who Peter is talking about in chapter number three, whenever he says, about he, he mentions the Apostle Paul's letters. And there's a lot of parallels um, and, and themes that he shares with, uh, namely like First Thessalonians. Um, the, the, the whole statement about like, hey, we need to count the patience of our Lord, uh, his long-suffering patience as salvation. That comes out of Romans chapter number two, where it says that the goodness of God leads to repentance. Because he says, like, why are you being upset? He asks his Jewish brothers and sisters, he's like, why are you, are you going to be upset that God is offering and extending grace and mercy to people who are not of the blood of Abraham? He says, don't you know that the patience, the long-suffering, the forbearance, the goodness of God leads to repentance? Peter shares that same thought process whenever it talks about a thief in the night. First Thessalonians, or Second uh, Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. Of the days and the seasons, we need not write to you. Because that day will come like a thief. That picks up on what Jesus said. If, 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 the, if the good man of the house knew that the thief was coming, he wouldn't just be sitting around going, well, there's a thief coming. So he talks about Paul's letters and he says they are hard to understand and some of us have long gotten some great hope and comfort from that because we're like okay Peter said it he's not the only one Uh, like we all we've all felt that way a little bit when we're reading Paul he says but it's hard to understand period and he says but those who are unlearned and unstable wrestle as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Unlearned, it it can mean one or two things. It could mean that they just haven't been taught yet. Or it could mean that they haven't sought out instruction yet. Uh, and Josephus, he, uh, there's, this, there's this letter that this, uh, that this ruler writes and he talks about his sons. He says, I sent them off to learn. He said, but they weren't diligent. And so they've come back and he uses the same Greek word. Uh, they came back ignorant or unlearned. So it can mean like, hey, these people just haven't been taught yet. Or it can mean, and they're, they're not looking for teaching. They're not looking for wise instruction about what Paul means whenever Paul writes about these things. 
Same thing. Like when Paul says, hey, you know that, uh, don't worry, the second coming hasn't happened yet. Or the, I'm sorry, the parousia hasn't happened yet. Um, and, and, and then Paul says this like coded thing. He says, we know that the, that the son of perdition will be revealed before that happens. And so then what do people do? They take that and they go, ooh, we can tell you what that means. They didn't seek instruction about what Paul was saying, but now they are unlearned and they're unstable. The Greek word there is a word that Peter uses in uh, chapter three to talk about what these teachers will do to others. He says they will be able to beguile and to trick the unstable. And it's in direct contrast to why Peter is writing uh, uh, Second Peter whenever he says, I wrote to establish, to make you stable. So, these false teachers, they come in and they deny the Lord who bought them. And whenever I think about that, and I think about all the prophetic teaching books, there's so many things that swell up in my heart. But, but whenever I, I, I hear him use that word, bought you. And Peter uses that, uh, that concept again elsewhere. He used it in First Peter. He said, remember, you were bought not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. <laughs> How many of us, when we think about Jesus's coming again, are, are, have been taught... Or we read it, that man, Jesus is coming with a lot of violence. And I get it. The Old Testament has a lot of violence. Revelation seems to kind of like give us this image of violent bloodbath at the end. I can't help but think that that denies Jesus. And it denies the kingdom that he's coming to establish. I'm just going to read some verses out of Second Peter chapter number 2. He says that these false teachers come in, bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. The way of truth, that's Jesus' way. It's personifying Jesus as the way of truth. What was his way of truth? Shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment is now a long time, lingereth not, their damnation slumbereth not. 
For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them example unto those that after should live ungodly and deliver just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the world, world or wicked, then, if the, he could do all that, verse 9, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, who despise government, who are presumptuous, they are self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereof angels which are greater in power might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. They shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Their eyes are full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin. They beguile unstable souls. A heart they have exercised or trained with covetous practices. Cursed children they are. They've forsaken the way, the right way, and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumbass speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These people describes them in horrible, despicable ways. It says they, they are preparing for themselves the reward of unrighteousness. To me, whenever it says that they are going after their own fleshly desires... I think about my fleshly desires and how I think that somebody who's done something terrible needs to be dealt with. And I think about this world and all these kingdoms of this world that have promised peace but that have been established through violence. And how Jesus comes in and he says, I am bringing the peaceable kingdom. And he does not establish it with violence. And yet, here we are today. And if we're not careful, I think we have bloodthirsty, vengeful thoughts in our hearts and our minds when we're thinking about that new heavens and that new earth coming along. And if you don't, good on you. But I'm not going to lie. I, like, I, I can get swept up. One of the images that I think we use to, to kind of satiate this, this fleshly desire is Revelation chapter number 19. In Revelation chapter number 19, it says, I saw heaven opened 
This is verse 11. And a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and tread the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Now, I'm going to uh, suppose that if you've ever watched the movie Braveheart, you have, you have images in your mind about what this plays on. I would like to say... You know, uh, could you bring up that? This is what we want. We want a William Wallace to come in and to fight. And that's kind of what Revelation looks like it's, it's, it's preparing us for. But there's a few subtle keys in here that make me think that the writer of Revelation is taking this violent military language And he knows Jesus did not operate that way. He knows that because he saw Jesus not fight to defend himself from the cross. Not not fight with his words. I know you are, but what am I? Not fight with his hands. Not call 10,000 angels. But he saw Jesus patiently. Passively, humbly, lay down on the cross. And when people were walking by, he heard Jesus as they were scoffing and they were saying, he saved God, but he couldn't save himself. If, you, if you're the Messiah, why don't you come down off that cross? Which is the same kind of accusation which the tempter gave him. If you're really the son of God, then he, God would not let your feet dash upon a stone, but he will send his angels to rescue you. He takes, he knows this, and, but the, the image that he puts is like this violent image and, and, and it raises up within us. It's like, yes, maybe there's some subtle clues that this image is not to say he's going to come and he's going to kick butt and take names. But maybe this image says he comes and he's already done the work. The victory's already in hand. And he's using images that we can relate to. So what do I mean by this? You see how William Wallace is here? That face that painted up, ready for... Is this a before battle or after battle picture? Before. Before. Let's go to the next picture. Is that before or after battle? Daring. Daring battle. But don't be so technical and literal on me. 
would he look like this before or after battle? During. Thank you. <laughs> so, he, so think about this. Think this image. And he's coming. And he's clothed with the vesture dipped in blood. Is that before or after battle? It reads like it's before. But any of us who have seen Braveheart know you don't look like you've been in a bloodbath until after you've been in the bloodbath. And so he comes and he uses this language, this imagery that says like, he's going to come as this roaring, conquering king. And then you go, but wait, the battle's already happened. When did the battle happen? And if the battle happened, is there need for another battle? Now, am I saying that the kings and kingdoms and the rulers of this world won't try to go to war? No. But my king, who I'm looking to and longing to come again, I trust has already come and fought the decisive battle. And that decisive battle was on the cross. Why this matters to me is for a couple things. For one, if we're longing for that kingdom, I don't think that we should be longing. We need to check our vengeful, violent hearts. Now, let me just say this. Is there vengeance and violence in your heart? Yes. Don't deny it. Don't act like, well, I've never felt that way. Or I could only feel that way in certain times. I feel that way over the stupidest things. So you're probably better than me. I'm not going to deny that. But there are times whenever my wife doesn't say the right thing to me and I get angry. And I want her to pay for it. So I don't hit her or anything like that, but you know what I do that's kind of worse? Is I can say mean things. I can cut with my words. But what do I do with this heart? I I can't, if, if I think, well, you know, he, did, he didn't fight then, but he's going to fight in the future. Well, then I can justify that heart, can't I? But if I go, that's not how the kingdom comes. It's not how it came and it's not how it's coming. Then it's not going to come today. If that's in my heart. So I have to go to the Lord and I have to say, God, I 
am angry right now. And I feel justified in my anger <laughs> because it was offensive and I got offended. And these are all the things that are on my heart and my mind. And can I tell you, I, whenever I started learning how to pray these prayers where I could come to God and I could go, I am so mad at whoever it is. And I want these terrible things to happen to them. You know, the Psalms of imprecation. You know what I've learned about the Psalms of imprecation? Is God gives us freedom to speak it, but then God has a way through his spirit to go, yeah, but is that going to do any good? No, it's not. And he has a way of calming my heart and revealing to me, that's not how my kingdom's going to come though, son. I get that that's in your heart. I get, I, like, I get that that's your fleshly desire. If I can be honest that violence and vengeance are in my heart, and I can talk to God about that, and I can confess that, and I can be very articulate about it, and I can know this is not the way of your kingdom, his spirit can speak to me and calm me and comfort me. The other thing is, is if I'm looking for a kingdom that is described like this in Isaiah chapter number 11, it's described so beautifully. It says, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. The young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The sucking child shall play with the, on the hole of the ass. And the weaned child shall put his hand in a serpent's den. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Um, if I'm looking for this peaceable kingdom where the lamb and the lion lay down together, I am fooled as the world is if I think it's going to come through violence and through bloodshed. There's a lot of people who, in South America, um, this uh, social justice gospel emerged down there. And then um, there's a lot of beautiful points about the social justice gospel. But, but what happened was they said, this is the justice that we want to see in our community and in our nations. And they saw in it a lot of Marxist ideals as well. And that just goes to show you that 
if you're a free market capitalist, you can go to the Bible and you can be like, free market capitalism is right here. Yeah. And if you are a, a, a Marxist communist, you can go to the Bible and you can defend yourself because you can make the Bible say whatever you want the Bible to say. But here's what happened was instead of trusting in the way of Jesus, what they did was they started revolutions. And the sad reality is this, is everything that they hoped, all the beautiful visions that they painted and they they cast, and and there's some very articulate, faithful men and women of God, every beautiful vision that they cast, they said, okay, but if we're going to do this, we're going to have to get rid of those people. And those people, if they're not for us, they're against us, and we got to fight them. And so, like in Central and South America, do you just see justice flowing? Because all this stuff happened like back in the 60s, 70s. Today, are we looking down into these nations and go, man, like justice is just flowing like a river? Or do we still see a lot of corruption? To hit closer to home, we said that we wanted to be free of oppression from the British. And whenever they wouldn't do that peacefully, we took up arms. And I'm just going to ask you, has our nation ever seen a time of peace? Jesus tells us those who live by the sword die by the sword. That's just the facts. And so if we are homesick for a kingdom where the lion and the lamb lay down, we have to get rid of these hearts that say we got to kill our enemies. Tom Wright has said this. Jesus told us how his kingdom would come in Matthew chapter number five and we, have, we continue to deny it. See, we know we who live amongst the kings in the kingdoms of this world, we know that kingdoms are built because you conquered another king and his kingdom. You used bombs and guns and you dropped them and you destroyed the Taliban. How did they, well, didn't face much resistance this go around. But wasn't, if they would have faced resistance, what were they going to do, right? But Tom Wright says, Jesus said, no, 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 I'm not about that stuff. This is how, what I'm about. And he says, this is how the kingdom's going to come. And I've never read these words this way but I have began to read them this way and it's taken on a new life for me. But he says, the kingdom's not going to come through bombs and through guns and through violence and through bloodshed, but the kingdom's going to come through the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the ones who hunger and thirst after righteousness, Uh, the ones who are merciful Uh, The ones who are pure in heart. The ones who are peacemakers. The ones which are persecuted for righteousness sake. The ones who are reviled 
and persecuted and have all manner of evils set against them falsely for his sake, Jesus says, through these people, the kingdom, or to these people, the kingdom belongs. And he would go on to say, and I believe it's a good thought process, and through these people, the kingdom comes. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So, all that to say this morning. We want the kingdom to come. The kingdom that we're looking for is a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. But how is that kingdom going to get here? If we have fanciful visions of the end, Jesus coming in, kicking butt, and taking names, that's going to give us hope that today we need to kick butt and we need to take names. Let me say, that's going to give us false hope that today we need to do the same. But if we know that John uses images in Revelation that invoke this idea of victory, conquering victory, but they subtly tell us that the victory has already happened. And the victory didn't come because he came in on a white horse finally and he was tatted up with King of Kings and Lord of Lords on his thigh. But the victory came whenever he was a suffering servant on the cross of Calvary. The victory was realized the third day whenever he rose from death. Then you and I will not be able to excuse, justify, defend, or use the violence and vengeance that's in our hearts. And we will not be longing for that. But we will be those who use mercy and peace and patience in the face of hostility and anger. And through us, until Jesus comes, the kingdom will be seen. That peaceable kingdom. Now I say, none of this is very easy. And as we talked about God making a way and doing miracles before, the miracle of all miracles is whenever our spirit that is hurt and offended and wants to lash out can patiently forbear like Christ did. That's big time move of the spirit right there. And so today and each and every day, May we seek the way of the king. Uh, May we not deny our Lord who bought us. But may we follow our Lord and live like our Lord who bought us. And with that I say, Amen. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. These words are necessary to me because... We live in a society right now 
that is very hostile. And everybody is defending their hostility. People are defending why they're calling out everybody on social media who doesn't agree with them. They're saying it's about time that we get things changed in this place. And, and people are saying it on, on far sides of the spectrum and they look the exact same. The way in which they want to get their point across is by cutting down and demeaning others. Sometimes they will actually not just go and hide behind their keyboards and use violent words, but sometimes they will raise up and do violent actions. And there are people who profess the name of Jesus doing this. Justifying it and excusing it. And Lord, what we want to do is, is claim that to do things in a way that is not like Christ's way is to deny Jesus who bought them. And we confess that we go that way ourselves, Lord. And Lord, we are seeking you to give us a vision of the way that is above every other way. The way of Jesus. Lord, I pray and I ask that you would lead us not to long for a peaceable kingdom, only, but to be agents of peace in this hostile world. To be citizens who are bringing the kingdom of heaven now, as we hope it will be one day. Lord, I pray and I just lift up this prayer to you. I pray these things in the mighty resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. Brother Mitch and the team are going to sing this great song. Come thou fount, come thou king. Come now, Jesus.